This is episode six of the Animal House podcast coming to you live from London. Welcome to the Animal House podcast. I'm your host, Jay Nicole Smith. We are a movement of like-minded rebels who believe businesses win by building brands and success is defined by personal freedom. Join us if you dare as we go behind the scenes each week with marketing trendsetters and iconic brands who embody our Animal House philosophy. Ooh, you guys are going to love my chat today. I am thrilled because I know just how jam-packed this conversation is with tips, tricks, insights, tools, data you didn't know, pros, cons, yeses, nos. You really, really, really want to make time to listen to today's podcast because I'm speaking with Chris who is our uh, social media expert on working with dog and a self-professed growth hacker with a background in really innovative PR. So he's got this really awesome foundation and he is out there helping companies just like yours and mine. And actually he, I am actually a client of his. He helps me grow several of my social platforms by basically taking what you're already doing and helping amplify it. So it's not icky, it's not breaking the rules, but what he does is really, really help companies like ours get a little bit of a leg up in social. And we're talking today about some strategy stuff, about the best way to spend a small budget, about which platforms you really need to be present on and how to get in there. So definitely grab a notebook, grab a pen, you're going to want to take notes. And I'm not going to delay any further. Let's jump in and let's find out all about social media growth hacking and how we can use it for our businesses. So, Pepperners, today we have a real treat. I'm so excited to take you behind the scenes in my social media and introduce you to a guy who has really, really helped me build my Instagram account, among other platforms. His name is Chris, and he works with a company called Growth Geeks. I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about his story, but I think you're going to be really, really interested in what he has to say about social. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nicole. Happy to be here. Really appreciate the invite. So tell us what you do and give us a little bit of background about how you arrived in your current work role. Sure. Well, at my present date, I consider myself, obviously, a marketing professional, but also a social media growth hacker because... We use a lot of uh, the data we have and tools to really bring it to a next level, which is pretty exciting. My story to actually getting to this point is actually interesting as well. My background and career was in public relations. So I got my degree in PR and I lived just outside of New York City, which is pretty much the capital for public relations and started getting into traditional publicity, you know, which was working with media to get, you know, TV hits or newspaper articles printed about our clients. But something that I kind of grew up with was social media. Facebook was just getting pretty big after I had graduated college. When I was in college, we had Friendster and MySpace. Um, this is around 2002. And I just found it so fascinating, interesting how these things were starting to connect people and you know how you can stay abreast of what your friends were doing. So I really got into it as personal passion. But once my career started to develop a little bit and I started getting a little higher in the ranks of the PR agencies, I noticed that really nobody was using social for business purposes really yet. And I, I saw a huge application to be able to use Facebook and Twitter and uh, TripAdvisor and some of these social networks to really you know, leverage them for business goals. And I began trying to put it on the radar of the senior executives at the PR firm I was working at at the time, which had a New York City headquarters 
and we were in Fort Lauderdale. So we specialized in uh, tourism and travel accounts. We worked with uh, Aruba, American Express Travel, and Kimpton Hotels, Starwood Hotels. So we're just really just starting to look at how we can use these to kind of help our clients. So we started putting them in our new business proposals and it kind of, everybody kind of went crazy about it. I mean, they were really excited to actually hear about social media services. So we were some of the first on the front line introducing business social media services to some pretty large companies. And that's really where I got my start in business social media. And I wound up flying all around the world introducing these types of services to high-level corporations. So you kind of fast forward that a little bit to the last six or seven years where I've started my own agency with a special focus in social media. So we work with businesses of all types, solopreneurs, people who are just starting their own little business, even if they're at their kitchen table, all the way up to those same corporations that we had represented previously. So we try and create services that fit for all budgets, that can help these businesses grow their social, grow their presence. I firmly believe that it's still the wave of the future and it's only going to grow and the application towards business is just going to be that much more important. You know, as we watch traditional advertising and marketing channels fade away, this is really the way we're reaching people nowadays. And it's constantly changing. Every month we're in this industry, we're watching new ways of doing it. So our goal is to stay on the cutting edge of that, to be the precipice of change and be able to help our clients grow their businesses using social. I am smiling to myself, imagining like your first presentation to like Amex <laughs> about mm-hmm. Twitter, you know, like they're like, I'm sorry, yeah. what, you want to do what? And what? It, what? <laughs> yeah, Was that exactly. like interesting times to be talking about social media? Did you have to do a lot of educating or were it they very just... much was and it really actually had to stand out a lot. So in this particular niche and travel PR, I mean, there's like a handful of firms that everybody hired. It was just the way it was. Um, and it helped us stand out. So oftentimes we won the bid because we had a social media offering that was already developed and the others didn't. So, you know, it was a really exciting time and they were really eating it up. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know really understand what we were doing, but they know they liked it and they wanted it. Yeah, they knew they had to have it. Brilliant. Okay, so I love that your background is in PR because I think that's a really interesting way to look at social that I think individuals don't necessarily see and businesses look so quickly to ROI, which, you know, is murky with PR anyway. But I think there's that element that just kind of gets missed about just participating in conversations. When I um, define marketing for people, I usually talk about it being a conversation. And obviously, social media is the ultimate place to engage in that conversation. So I think that's really cool that that your background's in PR. I imagine that allows you to have a really interesting perspective when you approach these different platforms and different clients about what they can do there. How do you think that impacts your marketing experience, that that's your background when you approach social? I think it's, yeah, it's significant because even when social media was really just starting to get popular for business purposes, there was kind of this war taking place of like who it belonged to. Did it belong to the PR firm? Did it belong to the marketing firm? Was it the digital agency's realm? And I mean, it has a place in all of them. But I think there definitely is a unique perspective from a PR agency and how they look at social. I think they're a little more careful. I think they're more about the messaging and how you can make it look authentic and not so much like advertising or marketing. And I think that's you know why we were so, so successful with it because of that view we took on it. Brilliant. Okay, so let's spin ourselves all the way back from Amex to little solopreneur just trying to get a grip with how to use Facebook to build a business. 
I'd love for you to just give us a little bit of an overview of what you think the opportunities are in social for someone who's either just one person self-employed or runs a very small team of people. Sure. Well, I think the immediate impact they can make is uh, leveraging their immediate contacts, friends, family, what have you, to help support whatever it is they're doing. So social makes that a lot easier, and social will definitely make it allowable for their friends to help support and even refer and kind of get them more visibility for practically no budget at all. So I think that's kind of the immediate pressing issue is, you know, I'm kind of a a shameless promoter myself, but I I believe that if you're passionate about what you're doing and trying to build a business, that you should be telling everybody about it, you know, and if they're a friend, they're going to want to help you. So it doesn't necessarily mean buying something from you, but maybe they have a contact or maybe they generally really do want to buy what you're selling or, you know, what have you. So I think that's kind of the first low hanging fruit is to uh, your immediate sphere of influence, your friends and immediate contacts to build that kind of brand a little bit um, in that sphere. And then I think the next step would be using it to, you know, reach out to influencers or any type of contacts that can help you build that business. So, you know, if you're selling to businesses, using social media to reach out, because we all know people don't read email the way they used to. So we're finding social is a great avenue for uh, sales prospecting and lead generation and things of that nature. So these are all really low budget applications that anybody can use social media for to help build their business. Absolutely. So what I, one of the things I teach almost exclusively in like the online courses that I do is as a content marketing strategy, primarily for budget reasons for these small businesses. And that idea of building authority and credibility in your space and then basically building a brand so that people are attracted to you rather than having to hunt them down and, and sell them hard. So if you think about that and these small businesses, tell us what you know about the primary social media platforms and what you think the advantages are of each. You know, let's talk about Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, anything else that you think is super relevant for businesses trying to grow. Sure, absolutely. Well, I would always start with Facebook because it's the, you know, 1,000 pound gorilla that really has the most active users and really has a lot of people um, on it several times a day. I mean, it's really fascinating. Facebook's trying to release information on how people sleep because Facebook's the first thing they look at when they wake up and usually the last thing they look at before they go to bed. So, I mean, it's a really important. <laughs> so <topic>. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now is obviously Facebook is almost requiring us to uh, pay for advertising now to really get good visibility and build a, a solid business presence on Facebook. So while it's very powerful, you're going to reach a lot of people. There's almost this paid play premise coming about and has been in place for a little while now. So kind of need, you know, at least a small budget to uh, really see the results come out of Facebook, unless you're using a personal page for networking and things of that nature. But to really get a business page going, that seems to be the norm now is having an advertising budget. Yeah, we um, started my first brand. We started kind of back in the Wild West, you know, in like 2006 or so. And when we started using Facebook, we grew that audience from like 10,000 to 60,000 inside of 12 months, totally organically. I think those are days we all long for when we actually used to be able to reach our audience. So what do you think is like, for a small business, what do you think is a reasonable and effective sort of daily or monthly budget to be spending on Facebook? You know, I think you can get started with $100 a month, 150 would be, you know, a decent starting place. And then obviously you can scale from there. So just to kind of, you know, get the ball rolling, getting more people to view your posts, getting some more likes on the page, 
you know, it's not a lot, but it's enough to start getting some traction and maybe get some good visibility to the page. There's quite a bit of strategy involved in Facebook advertising as well that I don't think we have the opportunity to elaborate on now, but there is quite a lot of reading information out there. And I encourage anybody who's going to do Facebook advertising to kind of really do their homework before starting a campaign because there's a lot that goes into it. Very often I hear people, oh, I spent $100 or $200 on Facebook. I didn't get anything out of it. And it's very easy to um, spend money on Facebook, you know, and not see anything out of it. All too many times I've heard people saying, oh, I tried Facebook advertising. I put $200 towards it and I didn't get a single thing out of it. And it's very common because there's a lot that goes into a Facebook ad campaign to make it successful. A lot of people try to sell directly through Facebook ads, and it's just really not the way it works. Um, you want to you know, promote useful, engaging content, build an internal email list, and try to sell to the list from there would be the most logical choice. Not a lot of people buy directly from Facebook. A little bit to know about the process and the best strategies. And I would definitely educate myself before spending money on Facebook on the, to what those strategies are. Brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly what we teach. So can you just briefly elaborate on why someone would want to have likes on their Facebook page? Because I think there's a little bit of a misconception about why that's an important element. Sure. So you can you know, market to your audience cheaper <laughs> on Facebook. If you have the likes on your page, you get a better bang for your buck. So if you do build up your likes and you build them within the demographic that's your target, you can more effectively market to that, those likes than you could if they didn't like your page. So it's basically a, an audience that you can use to target your Facebook ad that's less expensive than the general public. Exactly. And then also it fits for your type of business leveraging uh, their contacts. So I can see this being good for a pet photographer that might have some clients that like the Facebook page, you know, how to bring in the family members of that customer or build on referral relationships and things of that nature. So that's where the likes come into being important. Not just a popularity contest. <laughs> Not just a popularity contest, even though we all love likes on our page. Yeah, we do. It's an ego thing, isn't it? Okay, so take us to the next platform. Which do you think is the most relevant after Facebook? So I always go to Instagram next. I think that's pretty much the best opportunity for everybody right now. It's kind of where Facebook was three years ago or so, where you can still build it pretty aggressively. You can build it organically. You can get a lot of viewership without spending money. So really now is the time. I mean, really a year ago is the time, but still <laughs> a good time to be on Instagram, building an audience and, you know, really trying to uh, get more visibility for both your business and your products and services. They're slowly integrating uh, many of the same processes that Facebook did uh, with the algorithm. You know, just a week ago, if you were on your Instagram feed, all the posts would be in chronological order. So if somebody posted a minute ago, that would be the first post you'd see. But now it's much like Facebook, where the most pertinent and interactive with posts are going to come up first. So it's very possible you're not going to get as much viewership on your post if the content's not as good. So... Still hasn't gone in the direction where you really can't get as much visibility as you used to, but it's starting to go in that direction, which makes it that much more important to get on it now. Well, and it's interesting as well, because obviously there's been a lot of uh, outcry about the changing of the algorithm, but the reality is it's for the user. And if you yeah. have engaging content, you're still going to get seen. So just don't publish crap, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very much. Yeah, it's, it's all about user experience for them. And if they have a product that people want to use, people will continue to use it. So at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. They're trying to make everybody's experience that much better. So we can't blame them for that. 
we just kind of have to work around it. Instagram advertising is becoming uh, more important. They're really just starting to launch business pages and a advertising platform that's specific to Instagram. So I give it another six months to maybe a year or more before it becomes just as necessary to spend money to reach your audience as it is on Facebook. So they're going to eventually become very similar in that manner. Right. You know, a lot of our people are super curious about Instagram. And I think there's a lot of skepticism out there about how does Instagram actually build a business. But there's also a lot of influencers out there saying that it's their number one lead generator and they make all this revenue from it. So can you just give us a glimpse into how that might work or why that might work on Instagram? Sure, absolutely. And I agree. I think Instagram is probably most people's best bet to leverage for building business and getting business out of. One is because you can grow it organically still. You can get followers without having to spend money for the most part. Um, and two, your, your visibility on your posts is still good, which is slowly changing. I think it comes with a stigma that most people kind of equate Instagram to something that teenagers use and that it's mostly kids and, you know, that's not my audience. Why would it work? And that's pretty much not true at all anymore. And if you actually look at a lot of the printed demographics about Instagram, it's a much older demographic. There's a lot of professionals on Instagram. It's the second largest social network in the world. And that's, you know, I don't say that lightly. Um, that's a pretty significant thing. Wow, so, I did not know that. It is. Yeah, right behind Facebook. Wow. So it's growing. It's growing fast. And that's a big reason. It can be a huge source of income. You know, a lot of our audience will be people who love Instagram. You know, we've got a lot of photographers in our audience. So obviously, they're comfortable communicating in a photographic medium. And it's something they love, it's something they enjoy. But I think there's a big miss, you know, not a lot of understanding about how to turn taking photos or, you know, have posting photos, having a feed into a business or into revenue. How does that work for most of these businesses? Engaging content is really, really important. But within that engaging content that isn't always promotional trying to get business, sometimes it makes sense to put together some promotional posts, you know, some calls to action. You don't want to be overdo it because it comes off as aggressive or too salesy, but it doesn't hurt to kind of mix it in there because you are a business and you do have offerings. Just don't overdo it. You can't put a link into a Instagram post so it lives in your bio. So the usual thing you'll see is check out the link in our bio or check out our bio, which would drive to a landing page at some type of enticing offer. It could be a download. It could be a special promotion to help capture that lead. So that's generally the process for how it goes. We also do commenting can be pretty powerful. So commenting on posts and giving those posts a special offer or you know a reason to check out your profile. And doing that in volume can assist as well in getting business from Instagram. So if they're local people or within your niche, starting conversations with them, commenting, introducing yourself, that all can lead to business. And it's a great opportunity, isn't it, for pet businesses because people post photos of their dogs there. So it's a really interesting conversation starter to just go see a photo of their dog, make a comment about how cute they are or how you'd love to walk them or wash them or, you know, whatever your business is. It's a really nice introduction, isn't it? Absolutely. That's probably one of the top three best niches for social media would be <laughs> pet-related industry. And do you find that that's especially true in Instagram? Absolutely. Yep. Who doesn't like pictures of cute, fuzzy animals? That's what I thought. <laughs> right? Brilliant. Okay, so the, uh, another sort of takeaway, again, from Instagram is you're not trying to sell necessarily directly from the platform. You're trying to collect an email. You're trying to collect a lead that you can then sell to later, sort of over time through a sales funnel type situation rather than a hard sell in the moment. 
Absolutely. And that doesn't mean don't feature, you know, if you sell products, don't feature products. You know, people like to see and, you know, see what's new and what might be pertinent to them. So those can definitely work as well, but just don't post products either. What else can you offer as in terms of engaging content than just pictures of your products? So think about variety. Think about what's going to be interesting to the audience. And it's not always about you. So think about, you know, what you can offer them that's, you know, not as promotional. Yeah, we talk a lot about, I guess, like every marketer would about storytelling and trying to have a compelling story to tell that's about more than just what you want people to buy from you. It's about who you are, what you believe in. And I think Instagram is a great place to do that because, like you said, the engagement's so high and people spend so much time and it's really still a very safe and personal space where people are open as opposed to, I think, on our Facebook feeds now, we're just like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You know, we've got our walls open. Brilliant. Okay. So... Take us to the next platform you think is really important. So, you know, now we get into Pinterest, YouTube, LinkedIn, they all have kind of their own utilities. They're not as, I don't feel they're as broad as the other two, which are kind of can be used by anyone for anything. Once we start getting into LinkedIn, we're talking about more B2B type lead generation, connecting with businesses or uh, acquaintances that can help further your business goals or sell to or help promote. I'm a firm believer in using personal LinkedIn pages for that purpose and also keeping your network close. So if you're a pet photographer, you should be obviously connecting with similar industry types like the dog walker, the local shop owner that sells pet supplies, the groomer, and things of that nature. So I think that could be really used to tighten that network on LinkedIn. Also, they have the Pulse where you can publish blog articles there as well, which are becoming more SEO friendly. So depending on whether you're a local business or a national business, that could be a good source of organic traffic as well. Posting content on LinkedIn. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, So you can do an update, which is what everybody would actually call a post. And then what you have a post, which is actually a blog article. So they decided to give their own terms, different names on LinkedIn. I don't know why they did that aside to confuse everybody. So in terms of like regularity there, is that something like if you post something on your blog, you might as well chuck it up on LinkedIn if it's of value to your network or? Sure. You don't want to have, you know, similar content because it will um, compete with your own website. So you definitely want to have unique content for LinkedIn versus your website. But it's, you know, another place to think about putting content that can have a high ROI value than just your blog or your website. Right. So it's more like create and craft something specifically for your network that you can benefit from. Absolutely. Yep. And you, you might be surprised at the level of engagement you might get on LinkedIn. A lot of people are on LinkedIn more than, than you would believe. It's actually pretty popular. Um, specific industries tend to be on there a lot. So. Well, it was really interesting. I use LinkedIn. I'm writing a book and I did basically cold outreach to several people I wanted to interview for the book. And like 99% of them came back to me having never having not even known who I was. And I found that really interesting because if I had emailed them or called them, the chances of me actually getting to chat with them were so slim, I thought. Right. Uh, another thing I should mention about LinkedIn is when you do that blog article post on LinkedIn, uh, it sends all of your connections a notification that you published that article. So that can be a huge bonus of getting oh, visibility wow. to that article. So talk to me about Pinterest. <laughs> well, uh, Pinterest is, you know, are you going to say more? Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, many of us kind of avoid it because it becomes a black hole where we end up spending like three hours and spending half the day just getting sucked into the Pinterest vortex. But tell us what it's useful for in, in business. 
Pinterest is absolutely uh, probably one of the best traffic drivers for e-commerce. So if you sell online products, it's a great spot to be, especially if your audience is female. because A big majority of the Pinterest demographic is female. But a great place to really, if you do have any type of online product sales to be. It just probably converts the best out of all the platforms. So between a good Pinterest strategy, uh, crafting some decent boards, but also promoting pins can have a pretty good return. So people are on Pinterest to buy. So that's what really, I mean, not everybody, but there are a lot of people that do go on there to look for things to buy. So it's a great place to be if you sell products. So that's a really uh, great point you make about Pinterest is that, you know, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're in a position where you want to be socializing, catching up, catching news, you know, you're not in a space where you want to be sold to. Whereas on Pinterest, you might be there to, you know, look to redecorate your living room or look for a cool new product. And so you're actually, you're a bit more eager, right, to have that message about here's something cool you can buy. Absolutely. Big distinction between Pinterest and the other platforms. So how would you, if you sold a dog product, let's say it's a leash or leashes and collars, I suppose is more realistic. How would you, what kind of boards would you put together to draw people to your space? So we do things a little differently. We use a strategy that comments and likes on other people's pins to try and draw them in to our boards. Okay. So that's a little more, you know, activity uh, that we like to see and we kind of let them know, you know, if they like this product, they might like this or they should check out this board with a link in the comments. So it's a little more of a proactive strategy that works very, very well. And that and also uh, promoting pin. So between those two are probably the two high value strategies to get a return. So promoting a pin is basically Pinterest version of advertising, right? That you can sort of, it's like boosting a post on Facebook. Building out boards and pinning it's easy to get stuck into that while it's very, very important. I think repinning is important because it gives visibility to your profile. It's like a notification that somebody repinned their pin and hopefully that brings them in to check out your board. So I feel like a lot of the boards on the top should be promotional. It should be your products. And then as you go down to Pinterest through your boards, it should just be different categories that fit your niche where there's a constant repinning. And it's not so much for aesthetics as it is for the notification that they get that you repinned it. So right. that's kind of how I view it. You know, all those repins are, are notifications going to every single account that puts your name in front of them. So those notifications we're after. That's really interesting. I think, you know, when you talk about Pinterest and the women who use it, we can be very precious about that space because we're curating it and we want it to be beautiful and we feel like it's a reflection of our own personal taste. So I guess having some boards that are a bit more willy nilly in terms of like just photos of dogs or something. So we don't feel so worried about the aesthetics. It might be a good idea so that it's easy to just pin and pin and repin and repin and repin without worrying about the visual strategy. That's pretty much where I'm at. So, you know, I I would definitely keep that visual strategy to the top. You know, your first couple of boards, it's your products, you know, it's things that you might, um, Resell or partners or anything that's really important, keep that towards the top. And then towards the bottom, you can throw on those boards for those repin notifications. And what is a reasonable budget, do you think, on Pinterest in order, let's say you have a new leash collar set, you want to promote it. What kind of budget are you thinking for a month would make sense there? Uh, so that would really vary by business, but I would probably go back to, you know, $100, $150, you know, and I consider that a test level to kind of whet your appetite a little bit. You should definitely get you know, a sale or two out of that. And then as you increase your budget, 
uh, you should get an exponential return where you're making money and not losing money. And do you think it makes sense to do the same for content? Let's say you have an infographic that leads back to a blog post where you have, you know, one of those lead capture PDF downloads or something. Do you think that's worth promoting as well? Is that likely to have good ROI? I think it really depends on the niche. I think it can, especially if it leads somebody down the thought pattern of that they need your product or service. You know, we definitely want them to be educational. We want them to be interesting um, and engaging. If we're going to promote it, I definitely would want it to be able to convert in some way, shape, or form. So by the end of the time they actually make through that infographic, you know, that there's a call to action based on the information in that infographic that can help generate some traffic and leads from it. So I would say the answer is yes, but it would definitely need to be strategic. Yeah, you'd want to make sure that there was gold at the end of the rainbow for you, so to speak, if you're going to pay to promote it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so talk to us about YouTube. So YouTube can be fantastic. Obviously, Google owns YouTube, so they give it priority in their search engine. So if you can create good video content that has keywords in it, you can get quite a bit of traffic to your video organically through the search engine. So in order to do that, you need to create videos. And not everybody's comfortable getting in front of a video camera, but sometimes you got to push yourself to do it. And then in that script, you actually want to use your keywords. It's really important that you say the keywords that you want to be found for. So if you're a, you know, Cincinnati dog walker, you want to say Cincinnati dog walker in that video because YouTube is going to transcribe that into a text document and that's what it's going to use for search purposes. And also you want those keywords, yep, you want those keywords to also be in the title and in the description of the video. I so did not know that. (laughs) I wonder if I'm like really behind the times or people know that that's getting transcribed and going into search. Okay. Wow. That's really interesting. So. How would someone begin to understand a keyword strategy? I think there's been a lot of misconception about SEO over the years about, do I use the same keywords over and over again? Do I look for different ones? Any ideas about where to start with that if you're just getting started on YouTube? Sure. We could spend a whole hour on (laughs) I'm sure, yeah. (laughs) But to boil it down to real basics, you really need to think about what people would be typing into Google to find what they're looking for. But that alone does not do it because there needs to be volume behind those searches. So, you know, if you're looking for Cincinnati Dog Walker and only five people search for that every month, you could still be that five people's client. But, you know, you want to put your efforts behind search volume. So you want to find a keyword that 500 people are searching for every month. And Google AdWords has a free tool you can use to do that. Um, And it kind of gives you volume behind keywords. If you're local, you obviously want to use your local town, city, and those keywords. So even though Google automatically knows where you are and will give you local results, people still search with towns in front of the keywords. So it will benefit you. And if you're in Cincinnati, you want to make sure you're saying Cincinnati dog walker, Cincinnati pet photography, pet photographer. You need all the variations on those words. It's easier, I guess, if you know that you just need to say that at some point within the video, it's easier than trying to name every video Cincinnati pet photographer, right? It's, <laughs> exactly. you can be a little yep. bit more. Kinda, yeah, if you get threaded through a couple different times in the video, it sounds a lot more natural. Brilliant. So thank you for that overview. Any platforms that we've missed that you think are really important to mention? Sure. We haven't talked about Twitter. You know, Twitter is pretty huge, but it's also kind of like this nebulous beast that a lot of people really don't understand its purpose. And, you know, I can see why. Um, A lot of people put a lot of time and effort into Twitter and they don't get anything out. But there's definitely like some steadfast Twitter strategies that do work. 
And they're unfortunately a lot more complicated than just tweeting regularly. You know, it's curating good followers. It's following up with those followers, sending them messages, trying using them for a lead generation strategy or giving them some type of content download to be able to capture uh, their information. So Twitter can be powerful, but there's a lot more work behind it than most people have time for or really kind of can wrap their head around. So it can be a very good B2B strategy. It could be a really good niche marketing strategy. So if there's a really specific niche you're in, it could be a great venue for that. They're constantly making changes. They've gotten some negative publicity lately because there's quite a bit of spam on Twitter, fake accounts. You know, they have a very limited character count. They, they're literally just going to be opening it up so that links and images don't count towards the character count finally. So you'll be able to produce more robust tweets. Oh, brilliant. So there's definitely something there. Yep. But I think they're, you know, you need to have a strategy in place. Like, okay, I'm going to be on Twitter. I'm going to tweet. I'm going to get followers. But what is my tangible strategy that's actually going to further my business goals here, aside from just being on Twitter? You know, we've talked a lot about Twitter being more of a lead acquisition tool for a lot of our members who don't have the time or the knowledge to commit to a proper Twitter strategy. And that, you know, because so many of our businesses are local, it's easy to find local dog owners, for example, to work with. Is it important? I know one of the questions I get a lot is, is it important that I'm tweeting all the time? Or how am I growing those followers? Is it just a matter of pinning some valuable content onto my page? Or can I, maybe this is a good segue into talking about automation. I mean, at bare minimum, I think everybody should have a Twitter account because it's going to help build out your SEO as well. You know, if somebody searches for your business, you don't want just one line item that's your Facebook page and one that's your website. You know, you want your website to come up, your Facebook, your Twitter, your YouTube. You want your, that all page one to be you yeah. whenever they Google around your name. So that's one reason just to do it. And you don't need to tweet every day. You can actually just hook up Facebook or whatever platform you're on to automatically tweet out what you just did on that other network. So there's no reason to not do that. I have just told my audience not to do that, but I was speaking specifically about Instagram. Do you think that that actually is a good thing to do because it gets people over there? I was saying if you've posted a photo on Instagram, it's a link. It's not a photo. Is that a positive thing to do? If you're doing nothing on Twitter, it's a positive thing. That's the only okay. reason I'm saying it. If you're doing nothing on Twitter, at least do that. Okay. You know, it's, it's, I think it's better than nothing. Okay. Got it. So would I advise that as like a strategy? Never. <laughs> but definitely, I think it has a presence there and it's better than nothing. And that's the only reason I would suggest it. So Got it. Okay. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, uh, you know, better than nothing. Better right? than nothing. Yeah. I was going to say, it absolutely is a good segue into automation because a lot of people struggle. You know, how do you get followers? You know, what are the best ways? And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So I'd be happy to do to discuss some of that. I don't know if you had any specific questions or yeah, so I love you wanted to start with. I love this uh, title of the sort of growth hacker, because I think we're hearing that a little bit more and more. And I think for your business, that includes a lot of automation, doesn't it? It means like getting the most bang for your buck in terms of time spent and impact on number of followers or eyes on the page, that kind of thing. So why don't you just introduce us conceptually to how social media automation kind of works? Because I'm not sure people necessarily understand how it can be done in a way that isn't icky, <laughs> for lack of a better sure, word. Absolutely. So at a basic level, so the, uh, social media automation is taking the activities you already do every day and having them take place automatically through parameters so that they you can perform uh, much higher volume tasks without it taking up all of your time. So for example, um, a lot of people follow other accounts in their niche 
with the hopes that those people will come check out their account and hopefully follow them. So that can take some time. So what we can do through automation software is use parameters like hashtags or lookalike audiences and have it follow hundreds of accounts every day and then unfollow them 24 to 48 hours later after they've hopefully checked out the account. And if they didn't follow you, they are unfollowed and then we move on. If they do follow you, we usually leave it that we continue following them. But that we can go another direction with that strategy as well. But it definitely helps retention. So a lot of people hear this and they go, well, isn't that just like follow for follow and that's not legit? It absolutely is a very legit way of building your following. There's two reasons. Follow for follow is something very different. That is a hashtag that people kind of leverage because they just want followers. They don't care about the quality of the followers, who the targeting is. They just want followers. And people use that hashtag to kind of capitalize on follow for follow. So this is very different. This would be actually targeting accounts that are a good fit for you. So, for example, if you're targeting locals, and I, I don't know why Cincinnati is my pick today. <laughs> but Cincinnati. Um, say they, you know, they're looking for pet owners in Cincinnati. So you can target, you know, say uh, PetSmart. And I'm just going to use that as an example. PetSmart in Cincinnati has a Instagram account and they have 4,000 followers. The high likelihood that a large percentage of those 4,000 followers are pet owners and live in Cincinnati. So they would make a great target. So we would start following all of those people. And really the only reason we're following them is because we want to send them a notification. They're like, hey, we're following you. Please take a look. And oftentimes they will. We'll take a look and they'll follow. And if they don't, they'll be unfollowed and no harm done and we move on. So this uh, compounded, you know, you do 300 accounts every day for a month can result in hundreds, if not thousands of real organically built targeted followers. So you guys have been managing my Instagram account since I can't remember when, maybe sometime in the fall. And I think we've gone from, I think, less than 200 followers to like 1200 now. Mm -hmm. And when I approached you guys, it was just a matter of, you know, I've done the research and I know what I'm supposed to do to get followers, but I just don't have time. And there's no way I'm going to sit there for two hours a day and like and comment on people's accounts just to get them to follow me. That's not a good use of my time. (laughs) Um, Definitely not. So I was looking for a way, yeah, to increase organic followers quickly because it was a new account and I want to obviously build credibility and authority quite quickly. And you guys have done an amazing job. Like I said, it's been a thousand followers, I think, in what, six months or eight months time, which may not sound like a lot, but actually when you're talking about real genuine organic followers, that's huge. That's a significant number, I think. It's not like we're just buying people to show up on our account. Right. And every niche is different and has different results. There's a a lot of things that play into the success of a campaign. Um, Newer accounts grow slower. You know, so if you're starting with 100, 200 followers, it's definitely going to grow slower. Um, larger accounts with thousands, ten thousands of followers grow much, much faster. So that's definitely a big factor in it. And then also, of course, the niche. There's a lot more people in certain niches than others. Some are more prone to follow back. And then, of course, the dynamics of your profile. You know, what is the username? What is the bio? What are the photos that you have at the top of your feed? That all plays into the success of the campaign. Any suggestion? I mean, I just to clarify for everyone, I'm not sure if we said it. We are talking about Instagram. But is there any advice that you can give about how to optimize your account to be the most followable? <laughs> sure. So having a name that lends itself to your niche. So obviously, if it's pet related, have a username that's clearly something to do with pets. 
would help. A good bio would help. You know, that could be pretty subjective. Um, a good profile picture would help. It doesn't always need to be a logo. It could be a picture of yourself. I think uh, people that use pictures of themselves on their profile tend to do better. Um, as if a logo, if it's pet related, you can always put a pet in there, something that's really appeasing to the eye. And then, of course, just making sure you have some good content there. You don't want to have an empty account or one or two posts, but you know, at least nine posts. Right. So tell us about what you do. So I've mentioned that I've hired you to grow our Instagram following and it's incredibly affordable. I think that's the thing that I, I should mention is that working with someone like you who's got the software to automate this stuff, it's not like you're sitting there doing this for me either. You know, you've got, it's an automated process and the ability to do, obviously it's so scalable for you that it makes it really affordable for us, the sure. user. So yep. can you tell us a little bit about how that works in terms of how the process is managed? And then also a couple of other growth hacks that you guys offer. Yeah, absolutely. The service is very affordable, like you mentioned, we, and we only offer it on Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Unfortunately, there is nothing available for Facebook. We get that question a lot, but it's pretty much Facebook advertising is what you have to work with on Facebook. So I think that kind of lends itself to why Instagram is becoming so popular and Twitter now, because we can do a lot for a lot less money through automation. So, you know, one campaign costs $49 a month, which is hardly a, a bank buster. And from that, you know, we help you uh, develop your campaign, set it up, manage it, make sure it's optimized, um, and help continuously make sure it's performing the way it should. So we have everything in place to be able to handle this. We have custom software, which is really important. There are other alternatives out there that are similar, but they're not. So they promise the same thing, but they're not. They're, they're completely automated, meaning you sign up and you're in charge of your own campaign. So if you don't know what you've done, you're doing, or you haven't set up hundreds of these like we have, it's very likely that you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not. And very likely you can do some damage at the same time. They're also very limited because if they're putting people that don't know what they're doing in control of automation, it could be very dangerous. It could get their accounts banned if they're not following the terms of service. They could do things that are unscrupulous. They could be doing things that are, you know, there's no manual screening of the clients or what type of campaign they're doing. So they're very limited in that regard. So we have dedicated servers. We have account managers behind every campaign. Uh, we use dedicated IP addresses so that every account that we work on has a IP dedicated to it, meaning that, you know, it doesn't, you know, trigger flags or anything of having like a hundred Instagram's coming from one place. That's also a very important piece that most people don't know about is that, you know, using automation software from a dedicated IP address ensures the safety of the account, makes sure that everything is on board with Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest terms of service. Right. Because I guess I could massively flag up, right? If there's like a thousand accounts being monitored from exactly. one address. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we have to pay for those dedicated IPs. So it costs us money. So some companies might not, you know, might stretch that dollar a little bit and put five accounts on one IP address. And that puts all five accounts at risk. So we promise that every account we work on has its own dedicated IP address. Brilliant. Okay. We've talked a little bit about how it works on Instagram with the liking and following. How does it work on the other two platforms? It works very similarly with the follow-unfollow strategy. And, and that's actually the most powerful of all the strategies we have of growing the follower base. So follow-unfollow. I really haven't dove into the targeting of the accounts, but there's some really, it's interesting how we have to target. It's unlike Facebook where you can just be like, 
I want 18 to 25 year olds that are interested in skateboarding that live in Florida. You can't really do that on Instagram. You have to kind of figure out one of two ways is lookalike audiences. So I'll go back to that PetSmart in Cincinnati has local followers. That's a good strategy. So targeting the followers of large accounts and we can use hashtags. So if we know for a fact that a certain segment of people uses this hashtag in their post, that's another, that could be a very powerful way of targeting. But it's not always, it isn't always. So you really, we have to take a close look. And that's where experience really comes into play. We've done, you know, literally hundreds upon hundreds of these. So we've had the opportunity to see what works, what actually pulls in spam accounts. There's all types of unscrupulous type of content on Instagram. I'm sure everybody's seen on Twitter that we want to avoid. So we need to, you know, make sure that the proper steps are taken and proper hashtags and accounts are used. That's something to think about. You can also program it to uh, like posts based on hashtag. So if you're, you know, uh, pet photography, hashtag pet photography would like all of those posts. Or if it's local, you know, if you lived in Cincinnati, you <laughs> hashtag Cincinnati. Everybody who posts in Cincinnati would get a like from you. And then we can program comments as well. So that can get a little more sophisticated and a little more complex, but it's very, very powerful. So we can have set it to have a certain comment post on every hashtag or every post with a certain hashtag. So really want to be careful with this. You see some of this, you know, with just emojis or nice posts or stuff like that, which really doesn't go all that far. And what you do want to is play into what is being posted about and have some type of call to action as well, where it can actually drive traffic to your website. Yeah, I've seen that in action on some of the stuff I post because I do these sort of, I often post quotes and, you know, using hashtags like entrepreneur, you know, you get a lot of these automated comments and some of them are definitely much better than others. (laughs) Right. A good automated comment doesn't look like an automated comment. Exactly. Some of them are very obvious and partially it's hard, right? Because if it's automated, it can be, have nothing to do with the content. You'll see something that's like, oh, I love this. And you're like, really? Because it's not... (laughs) This is not groundbreaking. Like talking about something horrible that just happened. So. Yeah, exactly. So while it can be very, very, very powerful, you also need to be careful and there needs to be some strategy behind it. So all of this, since it is, you know, organically done and automated, there are, it's not 100% perfect, but we firmly believe that how powerful it can be highly outweighs some of the drawbacks. Yeah, I remember there is a bit of a, a learning curve, isn't there? Because when we first started our account, the sort of follow, unfollow, the numbers would go up and they'd go down. And I was really nervous about the whole thing. I'm like, what is actually going on? What's happening here? And right. then you had to be like, okay, this is how it works. This is the process. Just trust the process. It'll be fine. You know, I went from like following 10 people to following like 600 people. And I was like, ah, you have again, like this big ego moment of like, people are going to come yeah. to my account and see that I follow more people than they follow me. And it's just like, you just have to be comfortable with a little bit of that to get going. Oh, yeah. And that that happens so much. And normally, one of the first things I do is I pull out a five major brand accounts that have that. And I'll be like, hey, check out Kendall Jackson Wines, which is like a major, major wine company. They're following 62,000 accounts, you know? a major wine brand be doing that if it didn't work? I don't know. Who knows more? Major wine brand or us? <laughs> Who knows? So, I mean, there's a lot of great examples of companies that are using it. Obviously, if you're a celebrity or you're famous or you have a lot of sway on social media, you can get a lot of followers without the follow and follow strategy. Fortunately, a lot of us don't have that luxury to do that. We have to use automation to grow our account. Yeah, we have to growth hack it. <laughs> 
Any sort of overall thoughts, if you were going to have an elevator pitch to an entrepreneur about why they should use social media or how they should use social media or how they should make room for it in their business, any sort of overview thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I don't believe there's any other medium that's, you know, as budget friendly as social media to get a business in front of eyeballs. And that's essentially at the end of the day what we're trying to do. The sky's the limit, you know, the more you get comfortable with it, the more you build on it, the more it will exponentially increase. But time needs to be spent. So if you're very, very busy and don't have the time for it, it could be a really good investment to find a professional or company that can help assist do this for you. That's budget friendly. Or you, you carve the time out for yourself to do it. But I really can't think of any other digital medium than social media that would help people, especially smaller businesses, bring them to the next level. Automation is something, since it is automated, we can offer a really attractive low price point um, and it can be very, very powerful. If you are a hyper-local pet business, let's say a dog walker, and you have $200 a month to spend on social, how would you allocate that budget? If I had $200 and I was hyper-local, I would definitely, first of all, have an account open because that's free. So I would open a Facebook, a LinkedIn, a Twitter, and a Google Plus because of the local nature of it. If somebody would search locally, hopefully they find you. If I were to start spending money, I would probably need followers. So I would probably spend a little money on some automation to get more followers. I'd probably start with Instagram and I would target some very popular businesses in my neighborhood that had Instagram accounts and that had quite a bit of followers. Next, I would probably use at least a hundred of it for Facebook to get a promotion in front of people in my area that were pet owners or pet lovers. And I would make it a really attractive promotion. So I'm not saying 10% off. As willing as you can be to give some give away the ship to earn a long-time client, I firmly believe, and especially for a small business or a business looking to grow, I would consider that your marketing dollars. If you don't have a big budget, consider a really, really good offer to get some clients in the door that you can turn into long-time customers because you'll make that money on future business. Yeah, we talk about this a lot with promotion. So something like your first five dog walks free or something that's like sounds ridiculously Absolutely. generous. We do a lot of free trials. Uh, we do the growth. We offer a free trial on the growth engine. We offer for a full month, oftentimes. So that's we consider that a, a expense. You know, they get people comfortable with the service. They get to see how it uses. You know, and a lot of people continue on that free trial. So we put in free work. We get we get the return at the end. When you talk about getting a promotion in front of people on Facebook, how would you actually present that? You would create an ad that was a promotion, or create a promotion on your site and get people from Facebook to your site. Ideally, if they have the you know tech savviness to do it that way with a capture form, that's the way I would do it. Because people are going to a lot more likely drop an email than call you nowadays. Which way would you do it? If it's older demographic, they'd probably call. But you know, I'd want the offer on my website. And in order to claim that offer, they need to fill out their name, number, and email address to receive the offer by email, which would be like a coupon. Right. So you get the lead and then you have follow up with them to start the process, basically. Right. Yep. Brilliant. Okay. So you're not missing and nobody falls through the cracks. We've started accounts. We spent fifty dollars on our Instagram growth hack. We spent a hundred dollars on Facebook. What do we do with that last fifty? Uh, if I'm really small, I'd probably print up some flyers and some business cards and canvas the neighborhood. If I were that, if I were that hyper local, that still works. Coming from the social media guy, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always I say never that. Never downplay as well. local networking. 
Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chris. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? Sure, absolutely. You can email me directly at chris at 98bucksocial.com. You also find us on the web at www.98bucksocial.com. We also have a live feature on the website. So if you ever want to chat, you can just reach out directly through that as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. It was great. Cheers. Oh man, I don't know about you, but my head is totally (laughs) spinning. There's just so much to dig into when it comes to social media. And I hope today provided a little bit more clarity so that it doesn't all feel like one big, confusing, muddled mess and that you have a little bit more of an idea of how and where you want to be using social media to help build your brand and amplify your message. And of course, importantly, start to build relationships, start to create that know, like, and trust with your audience, wherever they are, so that when you're ready, you can slip in the occasional message about how they can work with you or how they can give you money because they love you so much. That's what they want to do. And that's the dynamic that we want to create. And social media is such a fantastic tool because it's free or very inexpensive. And it's such a great platform for building relationships. So my challenge for you today is to take what Chris has said and to do a bit of your own research and to just pick three social media platforms where you want to shine. And I always say that like Facebook is kind of a given. You don't need to be um, creating content in the crazy ways that we used to on Facebook. It really is a platform now where you need to pay to play. So let's just assume Facebook is part of your world, especially when it comes to using it for advertising. But what other three platforms are you going to use to show up, to promote content that you're creating elsewhere, to build relationships, you know, to really invest in, to tell the story of you and your brand? For me, those platforms are Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And Instagram is the one that I'm most interested in building. So of course, I'd have to say, I'd love for you to come join us over there and see, see what we're doing, try and add a lot of value and obviously make a beautiful feed that is inspiring and interesting for petpreneurs like us. But pick three for yourself. You know, you don't have to do it all. You need to be able to focus. And, you know, I'd highly recommend checking out YouTube if video is your thing or something you think you could be your thing because it's, you know, it's the second biggest search engine and it can be such a valuable tool for building um, SEO in your business. But anyway, we've already gone through all of that in the interview. If you want all the details from today's episode, make sure you get the show notes over at workingwithdog.com slash podcast. And this is episode six. So you'll find the details from today's show in there. And Chris has even made a special offer if you want to try out his services, which I honestly highly recommend, especially if you're trying to grow Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest, because he's got some great cool tools to help you get more followers more quickly that are totally legit and not creepy or fake in any way. So sit down, pick your three social media platforms and start to map out how you want to show up there and how you think you're going to invest in building relationships. Next week, we have another one of our million dollar dog brands. And I know you're familiar with this one. We are speaking with Patrick from Roughware. Patrick is going to tell us all about how Roughware started and how it was almost an accident and how they keep strong and true to their vision of getting people outside with their dogs and making that whole process not just easier, but enjoyable. So make sure you come back and visit us next week when we talk to Roughware. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great day. 